Hello and welcome to the Celebration Church podcast. I'm so glad you're here. In just a moment, we're going to jump into a message from Pastor Roger. But before we do, I want to encourage you, connect with us online. Whether that's following us on social media, on Facebook and Instagram, or it's subscribing to our YouTube page or this podcast, do it. We want to stay connected. And another great way you can connect with us is be our guest on a Sunday morning service. If you're here locally, come on out. We want to meet you and connect with you, worship with you. We'd really enjoy that. But without further ado, let's jump into this message from Pastor Roger. Good to see everybody. How are you guys doing? Hey, this 11 o'clock service has some energy in it. I like it. I like it a lot. Hey, we're, we're kicking off 21 days of prayer and fasting as a church. And um, for me, somebody asked me, um, Nathan, you asked me uh, just before the service, when did this begin for me? So for me, 21 days of prayer and fasting began uh, in 2001. I was, uh, I was at a conference at the beginning of January, and I... I met the pastor that I would end up serving under, and he invited me to come do youth ministry at their church. And I said, let me pray about it. And so I took 21 days, and I prayed and fasted, and then got back to him. And ever since, it's been a rhythm in my life. And so it's been a rhythm of my life for for quite a while, and uh, it's been a rhythm of this church's life ever since I've been the pastor. I just think it's one of the healthiest things you can do in your walk with God. In fact, I would say this season of fasting for me is my favorite time of the year. Um, it's not the easiest time of the year, but definitely my favorite time of the year. You, you might ask, like, well, well why do you fa- like? Why are we? F- why are we fasting? Um, that seems kind of old and archaic. Like, why are you doing it? And can I just say the the reason we fast? It, it's it's because we recognize that we aren't good enough to do this thing on our own. Like, no matter how hard we try, we're not good enough. Fasting comes from a place of desperation, saying, God, if unless the Lord builds a house, they that labor, labor in vain. Like, unless you build this thing, we are wasting our time. And can I tell you, it, you are not good enough to, to figure out your marriage on your own. There needs, to be, there needs to come this place of desperation. I'm talking to a business owner. You are not good enough to figure out how to scale your business to the next. It's not some strategy. You need desperation desperation, leaning into God, saying, God, what does my next season look like? It's a desperation that drives us towards fasting. Um, You know, this year, as I prayed about this year, um, I felt like this would be a year of the presence of God, uh, a year of his presence. Can I just challenge you for a minute and say, let's let's not just be mediocre Christians. Let's be all-in Christians. Let's be like all in, like going after the presence of God, seeking his voice. Like let's be all in kind of people. Uh, the, the idea of fasting or fasting itself is mentioned 75 times, uh, over 75 times in scripture. And uh, it, it's not some obscure uh, thing that's off on the side somewhere. It's actually front and center in many portions of your Bible, the idea of fasting. Um, and even Jesus himself um, all, he fasted, and then later, people recognized that his disciples weren't fasting. And I've heard people say this, oh, Jesus' disciples didn't fast. Well, that's what they said to Jesus. They said, why don't your disciples do this? Here's what it says in Matthew chapter 9, verse 14. One day, the disciples of John the Baptist came to Jesus and asked him, why don't your disciples fast like we do and the Pharisees do? So why don't your disciples fast like the disciples of John and the religious leaders? Why don't you guys do it? And Jesus says... Do wedding guests mourn while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. Jesus makes it very clear that fasting should be an integral part of a believer's life. While the disciples were walking with him, there was no need for it. But the way we, one of the ways we draw close to him is through fasting. It was part of the common language of the early church. So in, in your Bible, um, there's, a, there's a book called Acts. It's in the New Testament. And Acts is, um, it's a, not a biography, but it's a history 
of the early church. If you want to know what the early church looked like, read the book of Acts. Uh, it is not stoic. It is not formal. It is not, uh, it's not ritualistic. It's full of miracles, prayer, and power. But it says this in that book. It says in Acts chapter 13, it says, One day as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting. Worshiping the Lord and fasting. Fasting was part of the vocabulary of the early church. They were worshiping the Lord and fasting. And the Holy Spirit said, Appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work which I have called them. If you're wanting to hear the voice of God, if you want your ear to be tuned to the voice of God, one of the early church's methods for tuning their ear to the voice of God, we can see it here, is fasting. And then the next verse says this. So after more fasting, everybody say more fasting. fasting. And prayer. The men laid their hands on them and they sent them on their way. So the church fasted and worshiped and they heard the voice of God and then they did more fasting and prayer to pray about a decision before they stepped out on that decision. If you're making a big decision in life, a great way to press pause and get God's yes or no is to to push away the plate and to ask God to speak to you. It's part of the early church's vocabulary. Now, it's important. How we fast is important. Not what we're doing, but what's the motivation behind it. Because if you fast to pay a price for how bad you've been, like I'm going to fast because I've been such a bad person, and the only way God's going to listen to me is if I really beat myself up and, and restrict myself. If I'm really hard on myself, then God will listen to me. You're doing it wrong, and you don't understand how your God is. He's not looking for you to pay a penalty for your wrongdoings and somehow make up for it by fasting, and suddenly he'll be like, you're amazing. That's not what we're doing. Doing something very different than that. What we're doing is we're we're actually recognizing how we are designed... And we are responding based on the way we are designed. So here's what what I'm saying. You are a three-part person. You have a body. This is the physical side of you. This this side of you needs rest. It needs food. It needs needs to function as a physical body. You also have a soul. This would be the emotional and intellectual side of you, that deeper inward side of you. This needs to be fed. This needs to be encouraged. You also have a spirit. This is that invisible part of you that is beyond your physical self. This is the part of you that, that you recognize that even if you're, you were you missing part of your body, there, there, there's something more to you than your body, and there's something more to you than just your emotions and more to you than just your, your mind. This is your spirit. Let me say this. You are not a physical being with spiritual attributes. You are a spiritual being having a physical experience. So what I'm saying is is there's there's more than one part of you. The the Apostle Paul, um, who wrote uh, a lot lot of books in the the New Testament, a very prolific writer, he wrote a book to a church in a city called Rome. And in this book, in in the seventh chapter of the book, he says this. He says that there's this... He recognizes in himself that there's a war, that there's this battle going on. And he says, so I see inside myself that the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I, things I don't want to do, that's exactly what I do. Am I the only one that that is like, that's me? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, like oh my God. Like, the moment you think you're getting it right, you're like, oh, I'm such an idiot. Like, and what's going on is there's different parts of you fighting for who will be in charge. You are one being, but you have, you have different attributes to yourself. I, I remember when I was in high school, I had one of those daily planners. Uh, you remember those daily planners? They would uh, pass out, as some of you do. Uh, it's basically when they, when they hand out the iPad to all the students, when you get your Chromebooks, um, <laughs> spoiled. 
How am I supposed to ground my kid from the internet when you gave him a Chromebook? Okay, so <laughs> do your homework. I can't do it if I don't have internet. Come on. Okay, so I had a daily planner. And in there, there was a quote. It was like a Native American proverb or story. And it, it was talking about this idea that there was a, um, in, in a village, there was two dogs fighting. And someone asked the question, which one of these dogs will win? You're not even letting me get to the punchline. <laughs> the response was, the response was, I, I don't know which one will win. And the man that asked the question said, the one that will win is the one I feed. The one I don't feed will inevitably lose, and the one I feed will win. And can I say that this is the point of fasting? Is that I'm saying there are parts of me that I that I I must neglect in order to feed a different part of me. And, and I'm going to choose that during this season, I'm going to feed my spiritual man or woman. I'm going to feed my spiritual self. And in doing so, the way I'm going to make that part thrive is I'm going to starve the other part of me. So here, here's what it would look like. Uh, one, one option would be what we call a complete fast. A complete fast means you're fasting everything but liquids. Some people would be only water. Whenever I do this, I'm only liquids. Um, because your, your body needs a balance of both salt and water. And if you're just de- drinking water and never putting salt in your body, that's not good. And so, um, so there would be a, a complete fast. You're not eating anything. And there will be people in this church over the next 21 days. You're going to be like, man, you look great. You've been going to the gym. They haven't been going to the gym. They haven't been eating. And you will know it because their breath will be bad. Just, just bring them in. Bring them in and know that their heart is right. Amen? Um, that's a complete fast. Really what it is for me, it is depriving myself of the pleasure of chewing. It's incredible how much you crave just the pleasure of chewing. It's de- depriving myself of that. The next would be a selective fast. This is when you select specific things to take out of your diet. Jessica mentioned earlier uh, coffee. Uh, this is a common one. People will take coffee out of their diet, or they will, uh, they'll, they'll, like there's a, there's a prophet in the Bible. His name is Daniel. And what he does is he says, I'm going to take out all the sweets, anything that's good to my, that tastes good. I'm going to take out all the meats. Basically what he did was he ate lentils, beans. Like maybe for you, a selective fast would look like rice and beans, right? Like that might be good for your budget too. You know what I'm saying? That might be good. <clears throat> Some of you are like, that, that's already our budget. Like, <clears throat> How many want some rice and beans after church anyway? Like, let's put some masada in there. That's good. And <clears throat> Okay, so, uh, all right, getting distracted. Okay, so choosing a specific thing to take out of your diet. <clears throat> Alcohol. <clears throat> take it out. Uh, uh, just you're taking something out of your diet. And then uh, the other would be, a partial fast. So a partial fast looks like a complete fast, but it's part of the day. It's not the whole day. So it might be, I'm going to fast breakfast and lunch. I'm going to just fast dinner. I'm just going to take one meal out of my day. That's a partial fast. I would say this, if you want to, for the first time ever, fast for a full 24 hours, the best way to do that is two partial fasts. What you do is you fast dinner the night before, and you fast breakfast and lunch the next day. And I'm telling you, it will go by so fast, you're sleeping most of it. And you just have this amazing dinner afterwards. Just eat whatever. It's just going to be amazing. Um, If you're doing a complete fast and you've never done one before, I would encourage you to to talk to some of the leaders in the church uh, about how to come off of that fast or or what to, to, to deal with different things. Also, if you want to do a complete fast and you're concerned about any health issues, talk to your doctor. Please consult your doctor. Um, now, from my experience in talking to medical professionals, they, they tend to say that the, the benefits of fasting far outweigh the risks. Um, but there are specific situations where you do need to be cautious. And so I would say listen to your doctor, especially if you're taking medicine. Talk to your doctor. Um, so that's a, a complete fast, selective fast, partial fast. And the last one is a soul fast. A soul fast. So those first three deal with 
your, your physical self, your body. A soul fast deals with that mind-emotional piece. There are, there are things that we find ourselves craving that we think we can't live without, that if we were being honest, we could definitely live without. Little red dots on Facebook. Right? Um, there's going to be lots of people that will fast social media because the truth is they're, they're, they're gaining this, this, this sort of emotional rush every time they see someone like it and an emotional downer every time they see not enough people like their stuff. It would do you a lot of good to just get off of there for 21 days. Maybe for you it could look like the, the news media cycle. Maybe you're like a news media junkie or a political junkie, and you're just like, I just, I just got to get my stuff. Maybe it would be great to turn off AM radio for 21 days and just say, no, I'm going to clear out some headspace for God to speak into my life. Right? I was talking to one person. For them, it looks like uh, they said, I'm, I, they, they were almost embarrassed. Uh, they said, I'm going to fast a game. That's a game. I know I'm a grown adult, but I play this game, and it just... I find that it eats up so much of my time, yeah. and, and I'm going to fast this game. That's a soul fast, okay? So do it. It will be good for you. It will be good for you. Um, <clears throat> here's what Lisa Brevere says. She, she said this. I think it's a great quote. She said, a diet changes the way you look, but a fast changes the way you see. So lean into it. You're going to have a great... Honestly, I have so much expectation for this time of the year. Every year, I have so many people come to me and talk about what God is doing in their life, what they're seeing, what they're experiencing, the, just the, the spiritual growth during the season. So please lean in. And I would say this. Here's our prayer cards that are in the seat back pocket in front of all of you. What, I, what I'm asking is, if you would fill out the prayer card and begin it with the sentence, this season I am believing God for, and fill it out. What we're going to do is every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, we're having prayer here at the church at 9 in the morning. I recognize not everybody can make it to that, um, but, but I can. <laughs> and so um, I'm going to be praying and believing with you, and if you want to join us, you can come pray and believe with us, and we're going to end with a, night, a big time of worship. But I'm just believing God to do some incredible things this season, aren't you? It's going to be good. Um, every year, again, one more, one more last note. When we do prayer and fasting, we often pair it with this book, Pursuit, by Pastor David Patterson. And um, I'm going to say um, we normally have this book to give away. It's usually at the connection table, and we just give them away. Um, we just paid for a really big building. And, uh, and so what we're doing is this. We're not keeping any stock of the books because what inevitably happens when we have books is we have like 50 copies sitting in a box. So what we're doing is we've got a link on our website that takes you straight to Amazon for this book. And if you're like, ah, oh, Amazon's the man, then buy it somewhere else. But, but <laughs> don't make a point about it. Just buy it somewhere else. And so... Um, Great book, great book, um, The Pursuit by David Patterson. Uh, if, you, if you order it, it'll be here it, like, like that. They're so fast and um, great for your walk with God. So do that. Do, just do it. Just do it. Are you ready? You ready for, uh, for our, our first sermon collection of the year? Let's go. Okay. Here's what we're talking about. We're talking about the Bible for dummies. So here's the deal. You're like, I'm out of here. I'm, <laughs> I'm done. We're talking about the Bible in a Christian church? Okay, so I'm so sorry. Um, you know, I was talking with our, with our, with our, um, our content team this fall, just praying through where God's leading us and what we see. And we just really felt like there's a, there's a deep need in the body of Christ, not just this church, but the body of Christ, uh, for people to really get a hold of their Bible. Yeah. So this year, as we talk about this year, this year is going to be a year of the presence of God, marked by two things, spiritual competence and biblical literacy. And so that's why we're going to take a deep dive on the Bible. For the next four weeks, we're going to be answering questions like, how do we get the Bible? Wasn't the Bible like translated and retranslated and translated and like all changed or whatever, those kind of questions? We're going to go through how to choose a translation of the Bible. We're going to talk about where the Bible came from, 
for the next few days, next, next few uh, Sundays. And I know I, I typically like preach, and I really like that. But I feel like if this is going to be a year of transformation for us, our spiritual maturity level cannot be just a Sunday service. It, we've got to be people of the word if we're people of the word. So the Bible for dummies. And that's, I'm not saying you're dummies. That's not me. That was somebody else that came up with the name. Okay, here we go. <laughs> All right, here's some facts about the Bible. The Bible, the word Bible means book. So the word Bible, it's a, it's a word biblios. It simply means book. So when we say holy Bible, it's hagios, bibli, uh, hagioi biblios. Uh, it, it literally means holy book. That's all it means is book. Okay, the Bible is a collection of 66 different documents. So the Bible uh, contains, we call them books, but not all of them are books. Some of them are simply letters written to a group of believers or letters written to an individual. And there's 66 of them. They span roughly 1,600 years of time from 1,500 uh, B.C. or B.C.E. to 90 A.D. or or C.E. So 1,600 years of time. There are 66 documents written uh, over, over quite a vast period of time. And scholars would actually uh, debate the number uh, from 1500. They would say things like, potentially the book of Job is even older. Because the book of Job uh, dates back to like Mesopotamia time. So it was written in three different languages. 1600 years three different languages. It was written in Hebrew, and it was written in Greek. And then there are two books of the Bible in the Old Testament that include portions that were written in Aramaic, another language. It was not written in English. This is, this is key. This is key. Because what you'll have is people that speak English that believe that their specific translation of the Bible is the only authorized, inspired translation of the Bible. We believe this, the, that the Word of God is inspired in its original languages. Why I'm saying this is, if your doctrine requires a specific translation to be valid, your doctrine is wrong. It must be seen in the whole totality of text. Okay, it's written in three different languages. It's written on three different continents. It's written in Asia, it's written in Africa, and it was written in Europe. It was a minimum of 40 contributors that came together over 1,600 years to write your Bible. I say a minimum because we don't know the specific amount. There are um, there, there is some, some wiggle room here, some flex room, and in things like when we talk about the book of John, John was clearly a disciple of Jesus who clearly wrote his book. But we also know that he had what was called the Johannine community or the John community, a group of early believers that followed the teachings of John. And there's a lot of evidence to show that they may have been the writers behind 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. So I say that to say, if you just say John wrote John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Revelation, that would be one writer. But if you consider that there may have been more than just John writing, um, then there, there might have been more. Uh, it's, it's interesting. Like, like, for instance, the writer of Hebrews. We don't even know who wrote the book of Hebrews. A lot of people believe it was a woman that wrote the book of Hebrews, which is fascinating considering we're talking first century where women were suppressed. Great thing to consider. Okay. Minimum of 40 contributors. Most of the writers were Jewish. Not all of the writers were Jewish. Most of them were Jewish. Okay. Uh, The chapters and verses of the Bible were added in the 1200s. So when you read your Bible, there are uh, books, which were there, but there are now chapters and verses that allow you to talk about the same verse uh, and communicate about a specific portion of Scripture. It was added by a monk by a monk in the, in the 1200s. Before that, the way people would identify a passage of Scripture they were talking about is they would quote the opening phrase of that passage. Right? So they would, they would quote the opening phrase. This is why Jesus will often quote Scripture, 
but not complete the quote. It's not that he was like, oh, I'm like starting to quote, and then I like started mumbling through it, like, oh, what am I? What he's doing is he's giving the chapter and verse in their context. So when Jesus is on the cross, when he speaks, he's actually quoting a Bible verse. Read Psalm 22, and you'll see that what Jesus is doing is he's quoting the very first line of Psalm 22 so that everyone there knows, oh, what's going on right now is Psalm 22. He, that's how they did it. Okay. Next one. The books are not in chronological order. <laughs> it's so aggravating. <laughs> they're, they're collected by genre. And what I mean by that is, like the first five books of your Bible are what we call the law. They're not all law. There is some history there. But it all has to do with God's introduction of his rule to people. Then uh, we go into what we call the historical books. These are books that share the history of the people of God, the chosen people of God. Then we move from there into uh, poetic books. Talk about the, the songs or poetry. It's beautiful. In fact, in fact, there's poetry all throughout your Bible. Uh, you just can't see it because, again, it was not written in English. Um, and there's poetic books. There's Books of wisdom, we call them the wisdom literature. The Bible says that if anyone lacks wisdom, ask of God and he will give it to you liberally. Like God, will, God will give you wisdom. And there's already a great resource for wisdom. It's, it's in your Bible. It goes from there into what we call the prophetic books. These are prophets where men and women of old, God would move on them and they would speak the word of God and they would write the word of God. And some of them would even act out the word of God on the side of a street to, to demonstrate what God was going to do. There are, there's apocalyptic literature in scripture. So this is like, like, a, a, like an intensified version of prophetic writings. There are what we call letters. There are letters that are written to people instructing them how to live and how to manage different situations. It's vast it's incredible. It's a work of art. Yeah. Truly is. In a couple of weeks, we're going to compare it with some other ancient text so you can see how reliable the scripture is. Many of the books are standalone works, but not all of them are standalone books. What I mean by that is, is many of them are just written by themselves. But for instance, the book of Luke and the book of Acts go together. All right, um, it is the all-time best-selling book in all of history. That's a big deal. And it is the most banned book in the world. It really is. It's the most banned book, the most burned book in the entire world. The reason why it's banned is because the Bible does something inside of people that no government can stop. People being exposed to the word of God overthrew the Roman Empire. They ended up having to change the shape of what their empire looked like because when people discover that they can live their life honoring God and, and it's, it's about my life being surrendered to God first and now others matter and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn to forgive. I'm gonna, like it, it changes. The, this, is, this is why we see governments even to this day that try to restrict access to the Bible. The Chinese government for years has restricted access to the Bible. They opened it up for a couple decades, and they've shut her back down. And the reason is you cannot control people who recognize that they were designed to operate from love. You can't control them. Okay, so here we go. My, my goal for today is I, I just want you to fall in love with the Bible. I just want you to have a taste for where we're going in this collection of talks. So here's what it says in Psalm 119. Now, Psalm 119 is a very interesting book of the Bible. It's the longest book of the Bible. So if maybe you, you're thinking, I'm just going to read one, or not book, longest chapter of the Bible. So maybe for you, you're like, I'm going to just read one chapter a day. Like, that was great. And then you got to Psalm 119, and you're like, hold up, something right. Like, it, it just keeps going. It just keeps going. Keeps going, and, um, and, here, and, and here's the thing, Psalm 119, the whole chapter is about the Bible. So it's the longest chapter in the Bible, 
and it's about the Bible. Here's what it says in Psalm 119, verse 97. Do you remember the days when, like, I remember when I first started preaching, I'd be like, let's turn in your Bible to Psalm 119.97. And you'd hear this all, everybody be, everybody like trying to find it. And then like the person that's new to church is like over here, like, you know, they're, they're looking through like the index trying to, and you're, you're like, I know it. I, I got like a tab in here. It tells me like, <clears throat> so stupid. I'm a church kid. I can find my way through a Bible. But <clears throat> Psalm 119 is a beautiful, a beautiful text. Let's go into it. It says this. Oh, how I love your instructions. I think about them all day long. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are my constant guide. Isn't that soothing? It says, oh, how I love your instruction. My hope for you today is that you would learn to love the word of God. That you just love the Bible. The word of God, it is God's love letter to humans. It's God's way of saying, I want to communicate. I want to be in a relationship with you. I want to speak to you. It's the whispers of God. I remember when I was young, I I had this little free Bible they gave away in Sunday school. And I loved it because it had great maps. And when I was 18 years old, my brother-in-law and my sister, Toby and Ellen, bought me my very first significant Bible. They bought me a Thompson Chain reference, King James version of the Bible. Holy and anointed. (laughs) But I I quickly learned to love that Bible. I would read it. I, I would pray while I read it. I would read verses backwards and forwards. Just, I, I would read one word and pray over that word. I'd read the next word and pray over that word. I would just like soak in. For, I would go to sleep with that Bible on my chest. And I just developed a love for the word of God. I remember a few, a few years ago, I, I misplaced it somewhere. It's like a hole. I've got a Bible here. This is great, and I love it. But I want you to fall in love with your Bible. I want you to fall in love with your Bible. He says, oh, how I love your instructions. Oh, how I love them. He says, oh, how I love your instructions. I think about them all day long. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies. They are my constant guide. I think about them all day. The writer's saying, I, I, I meditate on them. I chew on them. Hagah would be the he, he's saying, I chew on them like a dog chews a bone. I, I want to learn the Bible. My hope for you is that you would learn to love the Bible and that you would learn to learn the Bible. When I say this, people will often say, well, Pastor, I, I don't have a lot of time. <laughs> like, uh, I, I'm pretty busy. Like, I got a lot of things going on. Like, I, I, I'm, I've got a lot of work. Or maybe you're a single mom and you're actually busy. <laughs> Not like the rest of us fakers. Like, you're really busy. You can learn the Bible still. And I would say one of the easiest ways for you to learn the Bible would be to listen to the Bible. I, I would listen to, for me, I would, I would encourage you to listen to um, on the YouVersion Bible app. It's an app on your phone. If you've got an Android or an Apple, YouVersion, Y-O-U, version. And at the bottom of any portion of Scripture that you're at, in any translation that you're at, there's a little play button. And you press play, and it just starts playing it. My wife will often do this. We'll be in the house doing whatever, and you can hear the Bible just, just in the air. For me, this will look like I'll be busy doing something. Maybe I'm going for a walk or whatever. I've got the, the Bible, listening to the Bible, just, just listening to it. Because there's something unique about listening to the Bible. It says this, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. 
So there's this unique element of faith that is not just intellectual, but it's like when the, the frequency of the Bible enters your ear, faith erupts in you. Like you, you, you realize, like, I'm more than a conqueror like through hearing it. Often I'll read the Bible aloud just so I'm activating my ears. Jesus says this. He says, anyone who listens to my teachings and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. He gives this parable of somebody who listens to his teaching and doesn't follow. They're not really listening to it, and so they build their house on sand. And another person hears the word of God, and they build their house on the word of God. And guess what? The storms come for everybody. All of us in this room have either faced storms or will face storms. But those people that have built their house on hearing and responding to the word of God, they have this incredible ability to withstand any storm. So we, we listen to the word of God. I would say the next thing is this. You need a time and a place to read your Bible. This is a nail, if you've been around here any length of time, that I will keep hitting. The healthiest thing you can do in your walk with God is not attend a Sunday service. Although we want you here, the Bible encourages you not to forsake gathering together. But the healthiest thing you can do in your walk with God is to get your calendar and block out a section of time in your calendar and find a place that matches that section of time. It might be a chair in your living room early in the morning with a cup of coffee. It might be out at the, uh, the outside patio fireplace. It might be at work, like a parking stall at work on your lunch break. I'm going to sit in my car. I'm going to read my Bible and pray. It might be a bathroom stall at the gym, and you're just in there like reading your Bible, trying not to look weird. Like I'm just saying you need a time and a place. Pastor, I pray continually. Cute. Real cute. Imagine if I told my wife that. Babe, I date you continually. She'd be like, right. No, it's important. Things that are important to us make it to our calendar. If it's not important to us, it will not be on your calendar. You need a time and a place to pray and read your Bible. Okay, here we go. I know that's not sexy preaching, but that's preaching. You need a Bible reading plan. You need a plan for how you approach it. So what that could look like is if you use that version Bible app, it could, like, could look like choosing one of the Bible reading plans, like reading the Bible in a year, reading it in 90 days if you're an animal, or like if you're, you know, <laughs> sorry, or like, you know, reading all the scripture passages about, um, you know, virtue or whatever it might be. Like there's, there's different plans. You could do that. For me, growing up, it often looked like we would, we had this Bible reading plan that was a, a bunch of bookmarks, one for each month of the year. It's called BREAD, Bible Reading Enriches Any Day. Everybody loves a good acronym. It's amazing. <laughs> and we would, we would go through and, and read it. And of course, like, I would always get halfway through January, and they'd be like, I give up. My favorite Bible reading plan is called the Moravian Daily Text. I've said this before, and I actually had somebody get mad and leave the church. They're like, you're a Moravian? You didn't tell me you're a Moravian. I was like, I don't know what you have a problem with Moravians for, but whatever. Um, <laughs> it's the weirdest thing. Okay, um, what they do is since the 1500s, they've had a council that comes together and prays over a selections of passages of Scripture to provide throughout the rest of the year. So every single day, they, they put out what the text is for reading. Uh, there's going to be some Old Testament, some New Testament. There's going to be some Psalms or, or some uh, wisdom literature. And then there's going to be what they call a watchword. It's just a Bible verse you hang on to for the day. It comes directly to your email when you sign up for it, or they have an app you can download. I love it. Here's what I want to say. If, if you're like me, and when I used to have those... Um, note card things that I would do, the bookmarks, I would always get behind. And honestly, that's why I struggle with the version Bible app. <laughs> because none of you know when I'm behind on my Bible reading, but the version Bible app knows when I'm behind on my Bible. 
you open that thing up, it's like, you've missed 700 days of reading your Bible. I'm like, oh God, I'll never make it. Can I just free you and say like, in Jesus' name, be free. Like, delete the app and then reinstall it, somebody. Like, just start, just start where you're at. You're going to be all right. Have a Bible reading plan. All right, here we go. Let the Bible read you. The scripture says it's like a, a mirror. Your Bible is alive. It says it like this. It says it's sharper than a two-edged sword that can divide bone from marrow. And it says about you. It says it can divide your thoughts and intents of your heart. So as you're reading it, you're discovering, oh, I didn't know this about myself. Let it read you. Let it transform you. I would say this. Maybe the best Bible reading plan would be to just pick up maybe Luke and start reading. And when you feel it divides some motivations inside of you, be like, oh, I need to go act on this now. I need to go ask someone for forgiveness now. I need to go make things right now. And then lastly, I would say study God's word. Study the Bible. Why do we study it? Well, Jesus tells us why. He says in John chapter 5, he says, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. So we, we study the Bible not because it gives us all kinds of information, Bible rocks to throw at people. Right. Quoting Bible verses, flinging them at, that's not why. We study the Bible because they all, it all points at Jesus. And ultimately, faith is not based on putting, hanging, hanging your, your belief on some sort of abstract concept. Faith is founded on the person of Jesus Christ. So we search the scriptures so that we can find Jesus and have an encounter with Jesus. Because he's the word. And he's written words. And they're very important to us. So let it, let it study you and you study it. It says it again. It says, oh, how I love your instructions. I think about them all day long. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are my constant guide. I think this is probably the hardest part of this passage of Scripture. Is that it uses the word command. Let me say this, honor your Bible. Another way to say that might be obey your Bible. That, that's, that's the most difficult part for us. When I was in junior high, when, when I was going into my first year of junior high, my, my family moved to, from Alaska to northern Canada in, in the Yukon. And I hated it. I was an American kid. I liked baseball. I liked apple pie. I liked hot dogs. And I certainly didn't want to move to Canada and eat poutine. <laughs> Which is amazing, by the way. It's amazing. Like, that's gross. Gravy on fries? Yeah, you put gravy on it. All kinds of potatoes. It's amazing. But I hated it. As a kid, I hated it. I remember when I got to school, like, the, 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 the most clear image of my frustration with being drugged to Canada by my parents was when I signed up for school. I had two options. My first option was I could take French class. <laughs> That's your option. My second option was I could take every class in French except for English class. I was like, I gotta learn French. This is the worst. Like it was horrible. And I had this teacher. His name was Monsieur Baudin. And I remember he'd be like, he'd be making us like conjugate words and go like uh, mon crayon, ton crayon. You know, nous avons, nous avons, ils sont. Like we go through all of our, we go through all. Like the only thing I think I really got down in his class was puis-je aller aux toilettes, s'il vous plaît? Like can I please go to the bathroom? Right? Like, like it was horrible, and I was a terrible student. I was a terrible. I was I was rude to him. I was not a great student, and it, it wasn't because I didn't like French. I thought that was kind of intriguing. What I didn't like was 
the whole idea of my parents uprooting me and moving me to Canada, and the greatest image of that to me was, you are now under the authority of the French language. <laughs> I hated it. I hated being under the authority of something I didn't choose. And I heard this quote, authority is not authority unless it is submitted to. That's great. Tell the cops. <laughs> I do not submit. Okay. But you know why I was like that? Because I was a real good American kid. I was a normal American. That's who we are as a nation. We don't like authority. We are a rebellious nation. (laughs) We were founded by rebellious religious people that moved to this country because they didn't want anybody telling them what to say. And then we decided we were going to throw all their tea in the water because we're not submitting to some government that we cannot see. And now when we look at our culture, we get real frustrated. We're like, these kids have lost their mind. Like, they're so rebellious. (laughs) Yeah. Because it's who we are as Americans. We don't do following very well. I, I would say it like this. The truth is, it's not so much that the power structures or the authority structures in our country are worse than they used to be. The real problem is, as a country, as a society, we're just really poor at following. Poor following. And what that does is that creates kind of two options. I would say that, like, whether, whether you're a believer, like, maybe this is your first time here today, and you're, you're not a believer. Or maybe you've been living for God for a long time. I think you can agree that, like, our, our nation's biggest issue is we, we can't seem to just trust anyone to be over us in any capacity. And so what we do is we recognize that, that we are not the, the sole arbiter of truth. Like if I say, like, I don't agree with this, we recognize that's pretty frail. So what we do is we have this democratic view of authority. And we say, authority is now what we say. It's not what I say, because I recognize that's weak. What it is, is it's now what we say. So when we say this is good, it's now good. When we say this is bad, it's now bad. And, and in doing so, we, we constantly try to overthrow anything exterior to our lives. When I, t- when I tell my kids, like, Hey, hey guys, um, this morning, I'm like, knock on the door. I'm like, hey, time to get ready for church. Get dressed. Yeah, dad, I'm getting dressed. I'll be right there. 45 minutes later, <laughs> knock on the door. I'm like, hey, you up? Yeah, I'm, I'm up. I open the door. You're still in your chones? Like, how are you still in your underwear? Like, it's churches in just a few minutes. Like, <clears throat> why? Because, because it's. We struggle with any form of authority in our lives. It's, it's our problem, honestly. And the Bible, the, the Bible has an authority over our lives. Here's where it comes from. It says this in, in, in second, uh, second Peter, Second Timothy, sorry. Second Timothy chapter three, it says this: "All scripture is inspired by God." The Greek there, the, the, the word picture is it's breathed out by him. Yeah. It's like me knocking on the door and saying, time to get ready for church. Well, I want to parse out the difference. Like, like the, the, his word is different than him. Great. Just get dressed. Yeah. <laughs> it says, all of scripture is inspired by God. And we're going to talk more about the nature of inspiration later in this series, what that, what that looks like. But it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. We live in a culture where we, we, we are not willing to allow anyone, not even our parents, to say, what you're doing is wrong. Yeah. Can I just say, we, we, 
we need to be confronted sometimes. I need people in my life that will. The Bible does this. I'm wrong in my life. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us what is right. Why? So we can have a lot of bible knowledge so we can go around throwing rocks at people? No. It goes on and it says, the reason why is God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. God uses it to prepare and his people, equip his people to be ethical business people, to be the kind of people that go and forgive those that have hurt them, the kind of people that, 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 that go and beg for mercy when, 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 they need, when they recognize they're wrong. They're, they're saying, I am sorry, please forgive me. Like, God's word is designed not to just to give us like this inspired word of God, but so that you would live an inspired life, uh, the kind of life that is, that is uh, above this world. Yes. That's, but it's really hard for us when we read words in the Bible like commandment, obey, what to do, who to do it with. Like it, it, it makes it hard, and I get that. But I'll just tell you, like, I know for me, I don't know about for you, but I know for me, I just find such a confidence when I'm able to honor and obey his scripture. And the last thing I'll say is this, as the band would come. It says, oh, how I love your instructions. I think about them all day long. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are my constant guide. They're my constant guide. Not only are they an authority in my life, not are they a place that I find delight and joy, not, are they a pl- not, only, not, are, not only are they a place where I, where I learn and grow, But they're the thing that helps me navigate the issues of life. Whatever you're dealing with today, if it's relational, the Bible speaks to it. It's financial, the Bible speaks to it. It's inward, the Bible speaks to it. Here's a great example. In the same chapter of the Bible, Psalm 119, verse 9, it says this. How can a young person stay pure? The answer, by obeying your word. But here's the problem. I have tried hard. How do I stay pure? By obeying his word. I've tried that so hard. Don't let me wander from your commandments. There's got to be, there's got to be. Because I know I've been there. Like, I'm, I'm trying to follow your word, but there's times when I just feel like, it's like, can you stop me from wandering? And then the psalmist clues us in to how to do it. He says this, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Not, I have hidden your word in my heart, so therefore I will never sin again. no. I'm hiding your word in my heart so that I hopefully don't. So I want to end this service by hiding the word of God in your hearts. Is that all right? We're going to memorize a Bible verse. Join me. Say this out loud. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Psalm 119. 105. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet 
and a light for my path. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Psalm 119, 105. Now you're on your own. Let's hear it. Come on. Now here's what I want you to do. I want you to hide that in your heart. God, your word is a lamp to guide our feet and it's a light to our paths. Lord, when we don't know where to turn or what to do, we know that your word will illuminate the way. God, when I don't know how to handle a situation and it seems that the road is rough, I can trust that your word will always bring clarity. So God, I pray right now that as we hide your word in our heart, not not that we would never sin again, but that we would be able to recognize it and hopefully avoid it. And we would turn towards you. Let your word be a light. Shines in the darkness of our worlds gives us clarity, gives us confidence. In Jesus' name. I want to invite Pastor Toby up to come pray with us. If you would, you guys could stand. Was that good teaching? I'm going to tell you what, I've been in a lot of churches, in a lot of different states, in a lot of different places, and if you have a pastor that's teaching you how to read the Bible, you ought to stick with them. That's good teaching. I, w- I want to pull back the curtain a little bit before we pray and show you a little bit of how, um, how God works with a church body like this. I'm on my way to church this morning. I'm driving the truck, listening to music, not worship music, not Christian music, just stuff I like. And, um, and I've, I've been walking with God long enough to know when he moves on me. And I, I feel him move on me. I feel something just in my, my conscience. And, um, and my response is, I just start speaking in tongues. So I'm driving, speaking in tongues. And I'm like, Lord, what, what's What's going on? I turn the music down. What's what's going on? And he gives me a word, just one word, loneliness. And I think, I'm not lonely. I don't feel lonely. He says, hold on to that for the church. Okay. So come come here and during first service, I, I knew, I knew, I trust the Lord. I've walked with him long enough. I know I can trust him. He's going to help me understand this loneliness, this word that he put in me for somebody in the church. And um, a, a friend comes over and says, this is what I feel like the Lord is saying to us. And I was like, ooh, you're right. That's called prophecy. When you're able to declare what God is doing. It's not always in the future. Prophecy is declaring what God is doing here and now, seeing it and being able to say, hey, this is what it is. And like, okay, part two, I've got that. But it still didn't feel com- complete. And uh, so as pastor's preaching, I'm in, this is in the first service, and he says one word, and you guys heard it, it was desperation earlier when he was talking about fasting. And the Lord said, that's, that's the other part to this. So I wrote it down, and I'll read it to you in just a minute. But that's the way the Lord works with the church, with the body. He will guide us. We have Scripture. We have Scripture that gives us great understanding of who God is. We have His Spirit in us to guide us 
moment by moment in the life we live. And it will not, he will not contradict the scriptures. We talked Sunday, oh yes, yesterday, Saturday, with our youth um, about fasting. We're about to go into a season of fasting. And one of the things we identified, these are teenagers. One of the things we identified about us as humans is that we're needy. Needy. If you look at a baby, that baby's pretty worthless. Oh, I know somebody like sacrilegious. That baby can't change his own diaper. That baby cannot wash dishes. That baby cannot mow the yard. Cannot wash clothes. Worthless. But parents look at that baby and are like, my whole life is wrapped up in that little ball of skin, chubby skin. Lee says her baby is squish. That's just, that's an emotion and a verb all at the same time, squish. And God made us needy for a reason. We have physical needs, like he spoke about earlier, where we have to eat, we have to sleep, we have to have rest. Uh, We even physically have to have interaction with other human beings or we will become sick physically. But what's not talked about enough is the spiritual needs that we have. Some of you cry and you don't know why. Some of you hurt inside and you don't know why. Some of you have homesickness for a place you've never been. That is spiritual. And it cannot be met or answered by physical substitutes. Eat all the pasta you want when you get done fasting. The pasta will not solve the spiritual question. This is what the Lord spoke earlier, and I feel is, um, come on phone, you can open up, password. This is what I feel like the Lord was saying, and um, I've had a number of people confirm this this morning. It's this, desperation and loneliness will lead to a massive shift that will drastically change the trajectory of your life. desperation and loneliness and here's the catch we were made needy so that we go to God for our needs he wants to help us with our desperation and our loneliness but if we do not go to him and we try to satisfy those hurts that angst with other substitutes it will lead a different trajectory for our life. So I want to encourage you right now. Go to God with your needs. Don't keep trying to solve these things yourself. The universal sign of surrender, do you know what that is? It's hands raised. If I were to put a gun at your back, you would automatically know what to do. And I'm not putting a gun at your back, and God is not putting a gun at your back. But if you feel like you want to go to God and let him sort out the desperation and the loneliness in your life right now, surrender to him. Raise your hands. Let your physical body know that you are internally surrendering to what the Creator wants to bring about inside of you. Lord Jesus, we ask you to move inside of us in a way that brings healing, in a way, Lord, that brings peace, in a way, Lord, that brings about clarity that we can see our life that you intended for us to live. 
Help us to get rid, Lord, to lay down at your feet our addictions. Help us to lay down at our feet, Lord, at your feet the substitutes we have brought into our life for something that, that we're realizing now that only you can bring about. Don't rush it. Don't rush it. Keep, keep listening. Keep yielding. Some of you, you will never hear God with your ear hole. But he is speaking to you in your conscience right now. And you're recognizing that. Do not, do not ignore that. Don't push that away. He made you capable of hearing him. That's part of the way that he made us needy. He also made us able to hear him. He is speaking. Hey, I just want to say thank you again for tuning in to today's podcast. If you want to learn more about Celebration Church, I'd encourage you to go to our website, www.thecelebration.church to find out more. Well, we love you guys and let's continue to love God, love people and change the world.